Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphin, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphin, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Sunday, December the 17th edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the Dolphins' playoff hopes are dealt a serious blow with a disappointing loss to the Buffalo Bills. I give you my five takeaways from the 24-16 defeat, and we jump right into the Twitter mailbag to take your questions. But first, guys, i got to remind you to go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Give us a rating. Give us a review. It helps the podcast grow. Helps me out. Helps you out. Helps all doll fans out. You can follow me on Twitter, at NFL for weekly game day breakdowns, live tweets, GIFs from the games, and the All-22 film. You can follow the show at LockedOnFins, and of course, you can check out LockedOnDolphins.com for all your written content needs. More game breakdowns, more film study, and GIFs live on the site there. And of course, don't forget to check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts from the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Guys, let's dive right into the five takeaways from this game. And I'm probably going to be a little more positive than you guys expected today. I know I was a little bit upset on Twitter talking about the game after the fact, and it just kind of sucks when the team... I talked about the funeral day. Every team has their funeral day throughout the course of the season. Everybody but one team has a day where their season comes to an end, whether it's the Falcons in the Super Bowl last year, the Packers in the NFC Championship, or the Cleveland Browns in Week 5 when they lose their fifth consecutive game to go to 0-5 and and basically realize, okay, this season is over. Let's pack it up. Let's plan for next year. Well, the Dolphins had that game back against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. was, in my estimation, back in November the 19th to be exact, when they lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to fall to a then 4-6 and six with two games against the Patriots coming up. I thought that 4-7 and seven was a certainty. It turned out to be that way. I thought that 5-8 and eight was the best they could get after the Denver and New England games. Of course, they go to 6-7. and seven. And then today, on Sunday, against the Buffalo Bills, they fall 24-16. To fall to 6-8, and eight, their playoff hopes severely hampered. And it sucked that the team, they're not going to be playing in the postseason. I mean, there's a very s- small glimmer of hope they got to beat the Kansas City Chiefs next week in KC and then Buffalo at home and get a bunch of other help as well. But the reason I'm optimistic is takeaway number one is for me is there is a clear direction for the offense going into the offseason. We have a bunch of guys that we know are keepers. Jarvis Landry is not going anywhere. He's going to get re-signed. Kenny Stills is a guy that can produce. He's a top 25 receiver in the league. If you could look at the stats and just based on what he does as a guy on film, I appreciate his game as well. Offensive line, you know you have Larry Tunzel at left tackle. You know you've probably got Jesse Davis at one of the guard spots, possibly Juwan James. So you got the two holes there on the offensive line. I'm going to say that they'll need two more guys, whether it's center and left guard. Probably Mike Pouncey and Ted Larson need to be replaced. The tight end, you probably got to replace Julius Thomas. But the running backs, Kenyon Drake, Damian Williams. Drake is turning into some, something of a star. Damian Williams is a contributor. And then you get your quarterback back. So it just looks like there's a clear direction. You get Tannehill back, you make those couple of changes on the offensive line, and maybe add a tight end, and you're, you're good to go. I mean, that's, that's not an unrealistic list of groceries to have to shop for in one offseason. Very doable. Something I expect the Dolphins to attack aggressively and get done this offseason. Takeaway number two by the exact same token, talking about 2018. I think it's the same thing on the defensive side of the ball. You have these two needs that, to me, are very clear. We look at the cornerback play from the game today. The Bills receivers caught something like four four passes for 57 yards. For the most part, shut down throughout the course of the game. The guys that killed the Dolphins were tight ends and running backs and the running quarterback, LaShawn McCoy, Tyrod Taylor, Charles Clay, all having big days. 
and taking advantage of the Dolphins' lack of speed and athleticism at the linebacker position. Once again, Kiko Alonso made the look a fool several times, whiffing on some tackles out of position and coverage. TJ McDonald got beat by Charles Clay a couple of times. He took it to the linebackers as well. And then, of course, covering the backs out of the backfield. I think linebacker and speed specifically is the biggest need for this defense. They need to find a way to be able to stretch the field horizontally and run with those guys that can get out in the space and do the exact same things that Kenyon Drake has been doing to offenses this season or the last couple of games, I should say, by wearing them out with his speed and his elusiveness. So speed of the linebacker position, adding more depth at defensive end. Cam Wake cannot play forever. Charles Harris, I am pretty high on him. I still think he's had a good year despite the lack of sacks he's produced. He's got a lot of hurries. He's played the run better than you expected him to play. He shows a variety of pass rush moves. He should be okay, but Wake can't play forever. William Hayes is hurt. You hope they can do another deal with him to get him back, but you need to have another pass rusher. A lot of teams that are good at rushing the quarterback have three good pass rushers. Right now, the Dolphins have one and a half, maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe two, I guess, I don't know. You got to you gotta add more, and especially account for the fact that Cam Wake cannot play forever. But in the secondary, with the cornerbacks, I think you're good. I would not be opposed to adding a top-shelf cornerback, a guy that you know is going to be a premier corner, because I think those guys are rare. And if you can find that, go ahead and do it. But your chances are very low. So roll with the guys like Tankersley, who has played well when he has been on the field. Xavier Howard, who's really starting to show some bites the last three games. Bobby McCain, who's been great all year. And then the two safeties that you have to like a lot, Rashad Jones and TJ McDonald. So I think the directions on both sides of the football are clear. You go center, right guard, tight end, linebacker, defensive end. And those are spots you can fix in the course of one offseason. Takeaway number three, Kenyon Drake just continues to bring it and show elite level traits in all three phases of the game. And not that's not to say offense, defense, special teams, obviously he's not a two-way player or even a three-way player at that point at this point anymore. But I'm talking about running, pass catching, and pass protection. His pass protection, he had another, another terrific bit blitz pickup in this game. I want to say it was in the third quarter. I can't recall. I put it on Twitter so you can look back if you want to find that one. We'll we'll go over it on the tape again later in the week. His elusiveness, his ability to press the hole and then kind of force guys into a lull and then sprint outside and get around the corner with just top level speed. And this is the NFL where he's outrunning these NFL professional athletes with just this great speed. And then his pass catching, he contributes again in the passing game with six more catches for 35 yards. So he was effective in that department as well, as well as some good running with the ball in his hands too. We've got two more takeaways here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, at Wingfield NFL. And we'll get to those takeaways as well as the Twitter mailbag questions here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Jumping back into the five takeaways from the loss to the Buffalo Bills. Takeaway number four is Laramie Tunzel struggles in this game. He gave up a lot of pressures off that blind side of the quarterback and had a few sacks, a couple of those fumbles. I guess you want to put it on Laramie Tunzel, you can do that too. But he was not very good in this game. He struggled. I thought the offensive line in general struggled for the most part. But Laramie Tunzel's a guy that we expected to kind of slide over to left tackle and be an elite left tackle, an elite pass protector, an elite run blocker on that left side after he fell in the draft because of a really stupid situation with the, the pre-draft stuff. We don't even got to get into that right now. But he falls in the draft and a guy that is a potential number one overall pick before all the quarterback trades happen and all the stuff happened with Larry Tunzel. And he plays pretty good at left guard his first year. Slides up to left tackle, has regressed a little bit. But you have to wonder, how do you attribute that blame? Is it because he wasn't familiar with playing that position every day in practice throughout the course of a whole year? And he's playing left guard the entire year. It's different with the feet, the hand placement, all that stuff that goes into playing offensive line. He has to kind of relearn that after a year off. So not the easiest thing, but you'd expect the rust to be kind of knocked off by now. So whether it's 
a skill thing or a lack of familiarity thing. I don't know, but there's a little bit of a concern there going into 2018 just because he hasn't been as great as you hoped he would. And that was a position that was supposed to be kind of locked down for the Dolphins after they made that draft pick and after he played so well as a rookie. Takeaway number five is the Dolphins' complete inability to deal with mobile quarterbacks. And Tyrod Taylor is making a career off playing the Miami Dolphins. If it wasn't for the games against the Dolphins, I don't think he'd be a starting quarterback anymore because he came into the game with eight touchdown passes, zero picks, and I think it was four starts against the Dolphins, and that included a 124 passer rating throughout those four games. And he comes in today and just does another bang-up job in terms of beating the crap out of the Dolphins' secondary and, and eluding the rush and making big plays with his legs. And that was what really killed the Dolphins in this game. They had so many chances to get off the field on the third down. And while they did a few times, there was a couple of long third, third and long plays where he extended either threw the ball deep down the field or ran for a first down. Those are the two things that Tyrod Taylor does well. But the Dolphins have had this issue with running quarterbacks since I can remember. It is a problem, and I think it goes back to takeaway number two, talking about the Dolphins' need at both defensive end and linebacker. They're too slow at linebacker. The defensive ends don't set the edge well enough, especially Andre Branch and Cam Wake. Even though Branch didn't play in this game today, it was still a problem in his absence. But these are the two positions the Dolphins got to get a little more athletic, a little more speedy, and just purely better at to deal with this problem and something that they need to address going into 2018 because it'll continue to be a problem if they do not fix it. Let's go ahead and plow right ahead here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, at Wingfield NFL, and jump right into the Twitter mailbag for your guys' questions for the post-game recap. I put the call out on Twitter every single Sunday, immediately following the game, and ask for your guys' questions for the podcast for the Sunday recap show, where I read them here on the air. I don't ever miss a question unless you're just kind of being facetious, so I read every question. You can get it read here on the air and answered here on the air. Let's start with the first question from Greg Larson at GSL Now. He says, now that the season is officially over, or almost officially over, we need to see Asiata or at least get him some reps or live action. And Grant needs all of Parker's reps. Agree? What else needs to happen the last two weeks of the season? Good questions, Greg. And it kind of parlays into a point that I was kind of dancing around that first segment, uh, talking about the five takeaways and the very first takeaway, talking about the coaching staff on offense and kind of how they have these problems identified and where they can get better at next year. And, I, you know, Isaac Asiata is a tough one because I think that when he came out of college, he was a really physical brute like kind of a mauling type of player that played out of control and wasn't really sound in his technique he just played with more sheer physical ability you can get away with that in college but when you get to the NFL that's not going to work you have to have good technique you have to be a sound student of the game and a sound technician in the game and he has not been that or he was not that in college and you don't expect him to be that his first year in the pros that's probably why he fell to the fifth round a lot of guys had him in the third round I thought he was kind of in that range based on physical ability but he fell in the draft because of the lack of technique and just sound football ability so he falls off and I I don't know that you can get him in the lineup because you you have you know this is a tough situation because you have an obligation to the veterans to play the best players. That's kind of how you create a culture. And that's something Adam Gase has really been a a staunch supporter of. And talked about not taking out Jay Cutler for Matt Moore. He wants to build this idea that the best players are going to play. We're going to play to win every single game. That's kind of what you get when you, this is the result you get when you have that mentality. You're not going to play guys just to play them because they're younger. As far as Jakeem Grant, he has been cutting into more and more reps. And Devontae Parker had a better game today than he has had in a long time. But I I think you see what Jakeem Grant can do from a specialist standpoint and more of like a Tyreek Hill light. And then he can run those jet sweeps and catch some passes in short yardage and or in short areas and make guys miss and make plays. So I want to see more of Jakeem Grant on the offense. I think he's a better receiver than he's a return man. So I definitely agree with that part. Not all of Parker's reps, just because you got to continue to see what you have with Devontae Parker, I suppose. Next Twitter question here. I have two questions from the same Twitter handles. Alexander Ruiz at Xander 377. First question is how many more games do we win with Ryan Tannehill under center? And you guys are just 
baiting me into talking about Ryan Tannehill, and you know that I love to do it, but I get a lot of flack on Twitter for it, but I think at least two more, if not three more. And it's it's hard to say, you know, they would won this game because you don't know how, you know, Ryan Tannehill has had bad games too. He's had plenty of bad games in his career. He had a few bad games last year. He had a lot more good games than bad ones. He had the same number of like really, I guess, high-level quarterback play that Jay Cutler has had this year if you want to look at just the stats alone. I mean, I talked last week about how Jay Cutler really benefited from a good play calling night from Adam Gaze and good guys or good execution of the scheme and just kind of playing within that scheme and not really making a lot of dazzle plays. He had that one third down play where he got out of pressure and made a great throw to Kenyon Drake for a first down. That's a great play. But playing within the scheme well is one thing different than really squeezing tight windows and playing more effectively from within what the offense doesn't give you. And there was a lot of that to say with Jay Cutler where he's not squeezing the ball in tight windows. He wasn't taking chances. There was a pass to the pass to Jarvis Landry on the fourth and like 14 or whatever it was at the end of the game when they had to get two quick scores. That was a big time throw. That's a big NFL starting quarterback type of throw. And that's what Ryan Tannehill can do. He can make those throws and he has the confidence himself to make those throws. Of course, he makes mistakes here and there, but... Jay Cutler, he lacked that confidence all day. He lacked that accuracy to make those plays a day. And he just made some terrible decisions on top of it. He just he has these games where they snowballs out of control. So he can outright lose a game for you several times a year. Tannehill's going to do that maybe once or twice a year. He's going to play very well for like six to seven games. And then the rest of the games, he's going to play above that average level and elevate his team. So I think that to assign certain games as wins and losses is tough to do. I just know the Dolphins would have gotten better quarterback play consistently, game in and game out, and they would have had less of these complete stinker games where it's just impossible to win based on the effort of the quarterback. And then Alexander Ruiz's second question, is Drake the future number one running back for Miami? What do you do with Damian Williams? I think absolutely yes, he is. He has shown you the ability to carry the load, to do all three phases. I mentioned it earlier, running the ball, catching the football and pass protecting. He has made guys miss. He has ran with power, speed, the big play. Ran for a touchdown on short yardage today. He's just done all of it. I don't think there's anything more you can ask from the kid. I think he's earned the number one bell cow spot in the backfield. And then Damian Williams, I would I would look to bring him back if the price is right. I think that he does a lot in, in third down pass catching situations. And he's a good backup to Kenyon Drake if you don't go out and sign somebody else. I mean, I think that they're, they're going to either draft someone in the mid-rounds or sign a really low-level free agent. So I don't expect running back to be a high, huge priority. I think Adam Gaze has been very pleased with what the running back position has looked like since the JHI trade and kind of their ability to be versatile and do different things and help the offense from that standpoint. Next question comes from Daryl at Daryl Leaked. Which play is the best microcosm of this season? The Cutler self-strip sack, Julius Thomas going back to his basketball roots and dribbling the ball while wide open versus the Pats, or smoking Jay miscommunication with number 11 after on the sides? I'm not sure that last part means, but I would say that the ultimate microcosm of this season would be the Jay Cutler pick to end the game today because he just threw a prayer. And that's that's what Jay Cutler does when he gets down against the chips and there's a little a little bit of adversity and, and you know, there's a pass rush coming in his face, which is funny because he made a really strong throw in the pass rush on the drive before, but they get the ball back. They have, a, you know, at least a prayer to maybe throw the ball into the end zone. And he just says, F it and chucks the ball up in the air. And that's kind of been the season mantra for the Dolphins. Like, let's just take a chance to see what happens. Just kind of sloppy play compound on top of sloppy play. So I would say that's the play that really stands out from today's game. Next question comes from FinFan318 at Schmidt underscore Robbie. Can we address, can we get the addresses of these refs so we can play them a little visit for the BS calls today? Geesh, it was hard to watch. Yeah, it, I think the NFL has an officiating problem, an officiating epidemic. I talked about it on a couple of, on a show. I think it was after the Buccaneers game and the, the missed safety call. I talked about it then because it seems like the Dolphins have been on that side of the, the 
the bad side of the coin more often than not this year. But just across the entire league, it's been pretty atrocious all year. I don't want to get into the catch rule thing about Pittsburgh and New England today. I mean, they called the the play they called the ruling right based on what the rule is, but the rule probably isn't what it should be. So that's an argument you can have for another day. But I just think the NFL has to make some changes to the officiating, whether it's holding these guys more accountable, putting their jobs on the line for these bad calls, or maybe even bringing in newer, fresher, younger guys that can bring some new energy to the to the profession and to the job. So that's that's my take on it, but it's not going to change. So I don't see the point in even getting into it any further than that. And then the last question comes from Julian Luco at Julian underscore Luco. My conclusion is that he single-handedly lost the game referring to Jay Cutler. I thought guys were open throughout the game and that protection was good enough. I thought so too. I thought that he like I mentioned earlier, he made a lot of decisions where he didn't pull a trigger on guys in open windows. He had a check down like a third and seven or maybe it was a third and 10 where he threw an out route to Landry coming across and the crosser is kind of the safety check down guy in case something wasn't there. And you look at the play on the like flip side from the camera from the end zone angle and they showed it was a little high low concept with Landry and Stills and Stills ran a little sit down route where he found the hole in the zone and, and sat there and he was open if you had that timed right and made the throw. But of course, Shea Cutler's feet work, his footwork are not in the right spot. Let me say that again. His feet are not in the right spot. His footwork is off. And when your footwork is bad, it's harder to pull that trigger at a snap decision like that. So he's not in a position to make a play. He's not a threat to make an athletic move. So he costs his team with doing that. And that was kind of the case throughout the course of the whole game. And then the interceptions happen. And it's, just, it's just the same thing with this guy. His bad games get bad. They get, they get worse and worse as the game goes on. So Jay Cutler, thankfully not going to be a Dolphin here in a couple of weeks. Let's move on here to... The last segment here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield. We're going to talk about the Dolphins preview the offseason a little bit and talk about where they go from here as the offseason is just two weeks away here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. All right, and this is kind of the positive part of the show I was telling you guys about earlier where I think there's a little bit more to be excited about than upset about. Yeah, you're 6-8. and eight. Yeah, you're probably not going to go back to the playoffs. But were they going to make any noise when they got there anyway and beat the Steelers or Patriots on the road? Probably not. So... You know, the best way to get a good turnaround for a team is to have players sustain good performances from the previous year while adding additional pieces to that roster. And that sounds very basic, but that's just what it is. And it's, it's kind of needs to be said, I think, in the most in most senses, because a lot of people don't expect development from the roster to really be the difference in a team. And that's the number one thing. People want to look at draft picks or free agent moves. It's all about developing your own and growing your own. So if you can sustain or if you can successfully replace the weaknesses at the positions of need, the, the, the five that I mentioned, if you can get, let's say, three of those five positions fixed, linebacker, defensive end, center, left guard, and tight end, if you can get three of those fixed, 60% of them, then you just need everyone to play at their current level that they're playing at right now with maybe a few of them rising up. You know, I'm talking about some of these young guys with the arrow up, guys like Xavier Howard, Cordray Tankersley, Bobby McCain, Jordan Phillips, Devon Godshaw. Kenyon Drake, Jesse Davis, and then you got veterans like Jarvis Landry, who's only going to keep getting better. Ryan Tannehill was playing the best ball of his career before the injury and, and assuming more of that leadership role and more of the kind of the franchise quarterback role. You got guys like Kenny Stills, Rashad Jones, TJ McDonald, Adama Kinsu, guys that you can, you know what you're going to get with them. You know what kind of players they are. They're consistent day in and day out, whether that's a great player or just a good player, you know what you're going to get with them. And I mean, what is that? That's If you take all those guys that just listed off, that's 13, 14, 15 players, and that's not even including Laramie Tunzel, Cam Wake, Damian Williams, these guys that have contributed in the league before. So now you're getting up to the guy, like 16, 17 types of guys that you are confident in their ability. And that leaves like four or five holes on the starting 22. And then you've got decent depth with guys like Terrence Fide, Stephon Anthony, Marquise Gray, guys you can funnel into the roster at, the, at a moment's notice and give you a few plays here and there and play somewhat well and kind of give you a decent performance. So 
you need to uncover a few guys, bolster that depth a little bit, and hope you get progress from the young guys that I mentioned. And if that happens, I'm I'm confident that this team is a contender in 2018, and not just a nine and seven like let's sneak into the playoffs and get whipped by the Pittsburgh Steelers again. I'm talking about a team that can actually compete with the higher level teams, compete with the Patriots throughout the course of the whole season, not just one week in December and be a contender to threaten in the AFC playoffs come 2018. All right, guys, that's going to do it for today's show. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a rating and review. Check out the other Locked On Sports podcast for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. And of course, check out the Locked On NFL Twitter page at Locked On NFL, as well as the Facebook page for all your Locked On updates and news and for your written dolphins content need check out lockdowndolphins.com be back tomorrow with another edition of the lockdown dolphins podcast your daily dose for miami dolphins football